imagine buying a property and living in it for four to five years. And during that time, there is no public transport, no schools, no shops, and just rows of empty houses, barren streets, and broken footpaths. It happens. Melbourne is dotted with brand new housing estates along the outer edges, creating growth corridors. But how do you know which housing estate is best? Which one will increase in value? Which one will make life a whole lot easier? Which one will get a good rental return? So many questions, yet most real estate agents or even volume home builders will give you the answers that make sure you buy their product or their land. Who is best to tell us where to buy? A town planner. And we have the best one, David Klimberg, to tell us all about it. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent and invest right. Your host is Sue Langder. Real Copyright is one of Melbourne's longest-serving real estate copywriting services. We have written properties from Cape Shank to Hidden Valley, from Corio to Clyde, and we bring out the differences in your property to make them stand out in the crowd. If you want a copywriter with imagination that attracts more buyers to your door, check out www.realcopyright.com.au. David Klingberg knows town planning. He has over 30 years' experience in the planning and design industry, working both in Australia and overseas for state and local governments, as well as the private sector. He is a regular presenter at conferences across Australia and Asia for various universities and for the Planning Institute of Australia. A man who knows the planning of towns... Welcome, David. How are you today? I'm extremely well. Thank you, Sue. Yes, I'm good. Um, looking forward to the interview. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, you know, this, I remember you when we sort of proposed this topic and you and you said that this is actually quite a, a good one um, and you wanted to research a little bit, which is good. I went out to the suburb. This family had been there for four to five years. Mm. Um, COVID hit all the development stuff stopped. They felt completely yeah. isolated in the fact that they were in this almost ghost town of a of a housing development with, you know, the promise of shopping centres and the promise of, you know, a park being finished up um, next door and, and the promise of yeah. public transport and, and yeah. they had none of it. Um, and you, you can imagine you've bought this beautiful new home and you've, feel stuck, especially with those little 5K rings that we were given. Yes. <laughs> yes, I could imagine that it wouldn't be the best. But, of course, I, no. I mean, actually, it's interesting you talk about this in the, in the context of um, uh, the top, the, you know, the, the era we're in. It actually wasn't, it was probably wasn't that long ago, maybe it was a while ago, but that, that was the norm yeah. for um, housing estates. For the housing when, estates. When certainly just like post-war when there was a boom and things were going gangbusters after World War II and, you know, lots of people coming into the country, 
that was sort of the people were driving down dirt roads still, right? So um, things have definitely yeah. improved, but um, yes. but when you're given the dream, the promise, you want it delivered on, don't you? Yeah, you do. And like you know, like you know, I live down the Mornington Peninsula, um, and that's progressed well into the last you know over the last 20 25 years in terms of you know number of people you know entering the peninsula um however we still have the same public transport system which apparently only covers 15 percent of the whole peninsula Mm. which is ridiculous yeah with the number of people who actually live down here yeah well that that's that that's for a number of reasons one of which would be Density. Um, no public transport system makes money. They're all subsidised by the government, and yeah. you get more effective public transport if you get more people living in a in a location because there's the demand. After a while, um, the state or the private sector can't afford to deliver public yeah. transport, unfortunately, to to absolutely everybody. So mm. uh, it's a it's a it's a structural issue as well as a you know, individual issue. But, yeah, it's it, these are all of the challenges of town planning and urban design and infrastructure delivery that we need to keep talking about. So, yes, yes we do. let's talk yeah. about it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> okay, so now the government's expecting larger population growth in the next five to ten years. And, obviously, rental pro- property prices are going sky high at the moment, making people look further and further out away from the suburbs they love. Can you give us some tips of what we should be looking for if we're buying a house and land package in those developing areas? Sure. Well, um, great great question. There's, there's obviously the fundamentals. You need your roads being built. Yeah. You need to get infrastructure being put in place, not just your roads, because there's a whole heap of other infrastructure that needs to go in. Um, yeah. And I'm, we may be touching on this a little bit more, and you've just touched on it, but schools, place yeah. to shop, your amenities, the quality of the services as well, that like the public transport services and the like. Um, but, yeah. but you've got to remember that some of these things are staged. And they're not going to be mm. there from day one, um, yeah. and so you've got to you've got to look at the planning that's being put in place. Also, who's delivering it? Um, mm. Some developers are better at or promise more because they can deliver more because they've got better business. They're they're a better business, mm. um, and so you know they're they're promising something. You might you might be paying a little bit more, but you're going to get get the stuff delivered in a more timely manner. So there's some of the things to look out for, whether or not they're there from day one, um, like the shops and the services, or it's just simply the roads and the the infrastructure. Um, They're things you'll have to ask and look out for when you're considering the purchase. Yeah, because a lot of them will say proposed shopping centre opening 2025, for instance. So if you know that it's going to be that 2025, you kind of, you know, work around it. Mm. But then when that 2025 turns up and there's still no shopping centres. Well, yeah. Well, so that's, <laughs> that, yeah. And and that, as you, as your case study identified, that can happen. 
Those things yeah. can happen for lots of different reasons. Like I said, depending on the, the type and scale of developer and the, and the, the backing they've got behind them financially, you, mm. you, and also the, I think the other thing to remember is that state and obviously state and local government play a big part in this. A few years ago, the state government uh, instigated a, um, a, a thing called Melbourne 2030, which yeah. in essence put a growth area around Melbourne, a growth boundary, mm-hmm. sorry. And, um, and if you can imagine that growth boundary being the edge of the metropolitan area, they then went about filling that in, that area within with housing. And the mechanism to do that was through what they called a uh, precinct structure planning process. So the state government had a very active role in designing the, um, the strategic plans for these new areas of growth. And then those... Yeah those plans that were done by the state government in the Growth Areas Authority and, and the, that, that authority's changed their name over the years, but the, let's call it the Growth Areas Authority. Those yeah. strategic plans were developed by the government and then the local governments and the state government's job was to make sure that the plans were delivered in somewhat pretty much like like was planned out. And those plans identify where parks, roads, community centres, activity centres, regional district, regional and district centres were to go. Now, when the developers come along and apply essentially to get approval for those Mm. bits of land, they have to follow those plans or vary them in collaboration with and coordination with the state government and the local government. So yeah. there's an active role. So you, you, in a way, by looking, not in a way, by looking at those structure plans, you you can see what you're meant to be getting. Yeah. So you can tap into those through looking at your local government website of planning. Local or state government websites, pre, and they're called precinct structure plans. Okay. Yeah. So if you look those up, you should be able to see what is happening prior to purchasing? So you well, have prior a to purchasing and after purchasing, because those things that are meant to be delivered will not be delivered. All of those things that are meant to be delivered, obviously, won't. Well, he says obviously, won't be delivered from day one. No, commercial reality kicks in. Yeah, no one's going to build a shopping center if the population isn't there to support it. It, it yes. doesn't make sense economically, and and. Yeah. We, we, it will never happen that way. No. So, 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 then this is the difference between certain developers. Some developers will put them in early as, as a loss yeah. leader to ensure that they're providing the estate that they promise. Yes. Right. And that's what you find. You find that the, the parks are probably the first thing that they put in after they start putting houses up, don't they? It's sort of well, you start with the roads. And, and, and the roads, yes. <laughs> but but actually, and, that's a really important thing to note. You can't. Yeah. No one can build a house unless the roads are in. Yeah. Right. So so your house ain't going to happen unless the roads are in because the tradies can't get to the house to the to the yeah. housing lots. Right? Yeah. So that's that's the first thing that will always happen. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, uh, I think I think the parks 
will, will naturally fall out of that because the roads define where the parks go. Now, yes. whether or not they're, they're, the parks are built to the um, uh, to the extent that they should be initially, but you, you're right, when you drive around your estates, you do see the parks essentially being some of the first things being put in. Then you'll find yeah. schools. Um, yeah. Childcare is also a big one too. They'll childcare. throw in a childcare centre. Yep, that's right. Yeah. And, and then the shopping centres because the shopping centres are a, yeah. a big investment. Yeah. I have seen, um, for instance, a childcare centre with a cafe next door um, just because it's all, they're making a building. Oh, just chucking a, a cafe to provide that lifestyle option. Yeah, um, and, it's, and it's next. It'll be next to the um, the the the, uh, the sales office, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to yeah. get you know. So that's, so that's some of the sequencing to to look at. Well, that, number one, that's some of the things to look out for. Have a look at the mm. have a look at the precinct structure plans to see what's meant to be coming. Um, yeah. The the quality scale economic vibrancy of the developer the the yeah. you know, what's underpinning them um their track record all of those things you need to look out for yeah earlier yeah. so you know as we discussed before a little bit um public transport is always a probably one of the last things that they they decide on but how can you find out what's proposed for public transport in those new estates um, again, state government takes a major lead role in that. Again, yeah. the precinct structure plans have will, will mention um, uh, public transport should mention public transport to a certain yeah. extent. Um, also, remember that uh, certainly, well, in 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 pretty much all growth corridors, there's some form of train line going through it. Yeah. So, um, and the way that planning works is that along the train lines at the stations are areas of higher density in development. And so mm. developers, in actual fact, um, are attracted to locations where there is rail infrastructure around the railway stations. So... Um, so and there are things called activity centres that pop up around the stations, and depending yeah. on the, depending on where it sits within the metropolitan area, different stations will have different activity centres around them. Yeah. So really, it's it's a matter of um, obviously the real estate agents will tell you what they what they. Oh, you're only five kilometres from the local yeah. train station. But they, it's still but five kilometres. It's a long walk. Literally, like the strategic <laughs> plans produce through these structure planning processes will show you uh, where the public transport is uh, going to go or, or yeah. exists even. Um, and that way you can make some decisions about your, you know, where you buy your land, um, mm. your lifestyle choices. Um, yeah. And then I think once you know, and that, that, that's, that, that advice goes particularly to um, rail infrastructure. Yeah. Feeding off the rail infrastructure is a bus networks. Yeah. Uh, that's a bit more tricky because the buses are typically run by um, private sector companies that are funded by the state government. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's more aligned with the, um, the, the, the public transport services in that regard um, uh, uh, require uh, density. Yes. Okay, so the housing typically has to happen before they'll start putting the buses in. Yeah. And you find that they generally create the bus lines that go past the high schools or the, yeah, they just sort of work out where the demographics are, where the, the high, kids are going from primary school to high school. Yeah, I mean, there is a, there's a real art to it. My, yeah. My, like I, we, we as town planners and designers work very closely when we're doing the master plan that we've done in the past with public transport um, consultants, transport consultants. And there's a real art to identifying where the buses go, where the public transport goes. There's there's people that that's their day job. They figure out where these things are going to go to give the biggest bang for the buck and service the most people. Um, And also not just where they go, but also the the scheduling of the – the timetable. Yes. Right? Um, but it is true to say that, and, and remember I said that um, no public transport system makes money by itself. It's no. all funded. Yeah. Uh, so it's a matter of, it, it, really, it really isn't, it, it's, it's, it, it will be a loss leader and it will follow people starting to live in the area. But, you know, the government looks at it probably as, you know, okay, there's more taxpayers coming into this country, taxpayers in this area. Yes, we will be running this public transport system as a loss, but we're making more money because there's taxpayers in these areas. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I think of it like that. Honestly, oh. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, th- I, think, I think the general public thinks the government thinks of it like that, but I, I don't think they, honestly, they don't. And with all the best intentions of the world, yeah, they just know that they're not going to make money out of it. They're not expecting to. Yeah, it's a public good, right? Yeah, it's a, yeah. So, um, so in a in a way, it's not driven by profit. The it's driven by mm. profit for the provider, i.e., the bus company. Mm. But from a public service perspective, it's a, 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 and this is just me knowing what I know after thirty years, and I might be wrong. But from my my feeling or understanding is from a public service perspective, it's not um, it's it's not it's, it's not the the the, it's the profitability isn't the driver. It is no. it is the public service. It's the service to the, the public. Yeah. yeah, yeah. See, I don't get it. Like on our lovely Mornington Peninsula, we have a train line that goes down to Stony Point, and then a bus line that essentially follows that train line. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't yeah. make sense. It's like, why doesn't that bus service go like east west rather than north south? Well, you could ask that question. A lot of these things, <laughs> so once these services get, and again, I only know this from sharing offices with um, transport planning companies. Yeah. Um, some of these things are, what's the word? I can't think of the right word, but they're, they're left over. They're, they're historical anomalies, right? Yes. And they're still there. And yeah. they're still there because they're very hard to change. Yeah. They get ingrained into into the system, right? Yeah. And, mm. like, I look at um, there's a bus route that goes down to Bo Morris from Sandringham Station. 
And that essentially follows where there used to be a tram line. There you go. Mm. Um, that used, yeah, so that's it goes into Tramway Parade. Mm. Um, because that was the way the trams went, so we kind of keep it that way. That's right. And, you know, those roads were obviously built slightly wider to accommodate the trams and cars and stuff. But, yeah, they just continue to use the same route. Mm. Mm. There are public yeah. trans- there are the transport planning professionals. That's what they do. They spend yeah. their lives doing. And, yeah. You know, they don't always get it right, but a lot of the time they do. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. So let's say we have an eager real estate agent ready to sign us up. At mm-hmm. the moment, we've got a paddock with rudimentary markings around the place, uh, like pegs and bits of string. Pegs and things. String. We know how they have it. They have their little pegs and then they string it out. And... Well, yeah, I used to be a lancer. I used to bash those pegs into the ground. <laughs> so yes. if my little real estate agent friend is uh, eager to sign me up, at that mm-hmm. stage... You know, we're, we're paddocks, we've got no roads, but we've got markings to make out things are progressing. Um, mm. How long would it be before a house would be built? Right. So um, if the pegs are in the ground, they've got the approval for the subdivision. Okay. Right? Yeah. So the subdivision and and you, the the land you would expect has titles by that point. Yeah. Um, it's not the initial just marking out, and so the titles have been created. So so you're assuming he's selling you the block of land. Yes. Probably, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's... Then you've got to then then remember you can't build the house without the roads. until the roads are in. Mm. So if we're looking, are you saying that we're the, you're not even seeing the roads yet. No roads yet. The, no okay. roads. Like we've we've got a really eager agent who's probably just had the land released, and you know I've got to make some money. You know. Yeah. 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 Well, obviously, and in in subject to the uh, the most recent cost impost in terms of construction, you, you're probably talking about uh, six to nine months to build the roads. Yeah. And then. Depending on who you talk to, um, anything from, uh, well, and, and actual fact, even more. Could, see, yeah. and, I, and I've got to do a shout out to some so, to some people of um, I know in the industry: David mm-hmm. Ball from Mab, uh, Rodney Smithson from Resi Ventures, Gold yeah. Sharma from Gold Bank Group, and Tassio Cocos from Woodson Management, and they do this stuff. There are there are different different people from different companies I know, and yeah. I, I've actually reached out to them and done a bit of research. So, you know, some of them are saying between fourteen and eighteen months. Wow! To start to, to, to deliver the stages, yeah. Right. Um, other people have told me six to nine months, but so you're looking at probably let's let's say a year to two, year to you a year and a half just yeah. for the building the roads and putting the infrastructure. Remember, of course. We're not just talking roads. When they build the roads, they're also putting in the sewage, the gas, and the power. Yeah. 
and the internet these days. Yeah. Right? So, so that's a lot to think to about. Yeah. So all of that has to happen. Um, and then the houses, another six six to six months to a year. Mm. So it could so be. You're, probably, you're looking at a couple of years. A couple of years, possibly three years. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I know this isn't really part of your expertise, but, you know, values go up and values go down in that time. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, you may have paid $200,000 for your land and three years' time it might be worth one fifty, Or it might be worth four hundred, Or it might be four hundred. <laughs> and, so, you know, yeah. you may have signed a contract for your land, your mortgage now, and in three years' time when you settle the property, they may mm-hmm. say you need to come up with more money or, yeah, you've actually made a profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've seen in recent times land typically in recent times, not very recent times, recent times, land going up in value. Yeah. Historically, it always has. Yeah, historically, it's supposed to double every 10 years. Yeah. You know, so, so, but you're right. I, I, I'm, that, that's, that's not my. It's that's not your not expertise. Expertise. Oh, look, just, just on a, a side note, I've heard of people who've bought land say for 200,000 and you know as i said drop down to 150 they'll only loan on 150 so you've got to make up that $50,000 for shortfall mm-hmm. yeah so so for instance if you have a 10% you know you have to have a 10% deposit they'll give you 10% uh, 90% of 150 not 90% of 200 mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's where people really freak out yeah but yeah anyway here's what it is thinking of uh housing estates like botanic ridge and um oh what's the one in sandhurst you know where they've got golf course estates and all that stuff in there like those things are powering in terms of property value Mm -hmm. aren't they you know because they've got a uh prestige to them and i think is it arteria in berwick the a-t-i-r-a have you heard of that estate in berwick haven't okay well i would love to say that but i haven't yeah see they're they're talking (laughs) about that as being the prestige part of berwick but Mm -hmm. to me berwick is old school berwick is is the prestigious area you know, right. <laughs> like, you know, Berwick when it was all farming, um, you know, lovely big sprawling acres and stuff like that, which is still yes. there. But anyway. In part, yep. Mm. Anyway, now let's talk about how the land is released. So who releases that land? Is it the developer or the council? Well, the... the... <laughs> The council, councils are not developers. Okay. Right? So the developers are the ones that go to council and seek approval yeah. um, to do this, to, to essentially get a subdivision approval. Right? Yeah. And that subdivision approval is based upon the um, 
remember I talked about precinct structure plans. Yes. So the, so the state government de- develops precinct structure plans in a, in association with the councils. Yeah. Yeah. But primarily led by the state. And then the councils are the ones that give the approval to the developer once the developer goes yeah. to the council and seeks approval for a subdivision. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then that subdivision approval, so the developer goes to the council, seeks development for a subdivision approval, mm-hmm. and then once it's approved, can then through the, um, uh, again, through the state government, get the lots created. Yeah. So that's the process. That's the process. So the developers will generally, like what I understand is that stage one of a development will be the houses that are closest to the planned infrastructure or the and then like the, the premium part of the the development and then if you've got stage two stage three stage four it's like further and further out but possibly cheaper blocks so they're trying to get the the premium blocks which might have a view or might have yeah and so they might not be they might, so the premium so there's a number of things that come into play mm. um remember that the roads have to be built to build the houses and so yeah. Um, there's always going to be a starting point on an estate. Yeah. Right? So it so it naturally follows that the it will typically naturally follow that the housing follows the the, the, the next step. The the mm. next stage is the stage that's next to the first stage. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. So, yeah. Otherwise, you'd be building a you you'd build your first stage, and then you wouldn't then naturally have another stage where there's Going. a big gap. Right? Yeah. So they're next to each other. Is my point. Yeah. However, uh, you just mentioned before, um, and councils like to see that as well, of course. Yeah. Because remember, I talked about there's there's not just the roads, there's the pipes and yeah electricity and all of that. So the service authorities want things to be next to each other. Yeah. Right. You you said you made the point and you said we well, start out from let's say a railway station and the like. That could be the case. Mm. But also you also made the point that there might be a piece of land that's on a hill. Mm. And that that might be the pre- premium land, but that might be nowhere near the railway station. Yeah. Right. So that so the developer might choose to start with the land on the hill because that's the stuff that's worth worth the most money. Yes. Right. And um, so staging is actually can be quite complex. Yes. The typical rule of thumb, though, is that you build one bit and then you build the next bit next yeah. to that bit. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but they do they know, do release it as in what they believe would be the most expensive land first uh not necessarily not necessarily you know um so you know some of my friends like goldie sharma's he he's he said it just depends on market conditions the cost of the civil works the connectivity services and infrastructure yeah um and also when you get a planning permit there are conditions of the approval right yeah so like getting an approval for a house or a, or, a, or or some um, yeah houses or apartments before you can get the plans endorsed and get literally stamped yes and 
start building, there's a whole heap of conditions that need to be um, complied with, mm. right? It's the same with the subdivision, mm. okay? So take, for instance, let's say you've got a subdivision that has a creek running through it. Yes. Okay. Well, there will be a whole heap of conditions of approval that would do that would um, that would uh, be related to infrastructure around and parks the and the like around the creek. Yeah. Now that may be your premium land that costs the most. Yeah. But it also, because of the conditions of approval, might be the most expensive to develop. Yeah. And so the developer might make a strategic slash economic decision to start with the cheaper blocks. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it is it is actually very complex and there's a lot of spreadsheets yeah. involved, right? Yeah. I um, yeah. So I don't think there's any one size fits all. But so I would suggest yeah. you're probably right. Um, like in in a in a if there weren't all these other externalities, you the developers are wanting to recut recoup or recover their costs quickly and they would start with the most expensive blocks. Yeah. So essentially if you see a stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, don't presume that it's either the prestigious at the start and then stage four is the dregs. It could be anywhere in the middle. Absolutely not. Yeah. Because that's what some do. Like I've heard of people talking about, oh, it's a stage four, you know, it's going to be cheaper. We'll be able to get into this because it's stage four. Yeah, I don't know if that's true. No, yeah. it's it. Yeah, so don't go in with preconceived ideas. No, I mean, I'll tell you how much they cost. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Okay, now we're going to have a small break, and after the break, we're going to talk to David about some strategies you can take to make your house and land package purchase a dream. Now you're listening to Real Estate Right. I'm your host, Sue Langada, and I'm on with the debonair, David Klimberg from Smart Planning and Design. And we are talking about how to know where to buy your house and land package. So David, in an ideal world, if you'd like to buy in a housing estate, what parameters should you look for to get into your finished home the quickest? So... Obviously, roads need to be in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, what else needs to be in place so that, say, you want to buy something and you want to be in within the next six months, but the house hasn't actually come off the ground? Mm-hmm. Uh, good developer, competent good developer, developer. Yes. Um, competent builder. Yeah. I can't remember where. So ask questions like how long does it take you to normally build it? Like when can you start? All those sort of questions. Yes. Yes. Also, um, our friend Michael Lipnick has given some tips on this. Oh, okay. Go, yeah. go and talk to um go and talk to the tradies that are building the houses to see ah, if the builders next about door. Or the day well, no, on the site. On, on the, the site. Oh, well, no, on if you're gonna sign up with a builder. Yeah. Go and talk to the tradies the, that are doing the building for the doing the construction for the builder. Yeah. And see if the builder's about to go out of business. Well, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> there is that. 
but there's also how about Sorry. like they can say to you, look, we've got six other properties to you know to build in the next few months. Mm. You know, yours probably might become the next after that, but mm-hmm. you know they may already know what their st- strategy or their their time is going to be used on in the next. Yeah, exactly. Yes, spot on. So all, my, my friends, uh, David, Rodney, Tassia and Goldie, have all, all, have, uh, all uh, when I talk to them about this stuff, all talk about the ability for the developer to deliver. Yeah. And the builders to deliver, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, really, that's really important. Apart from that, um, the lot sizes. So... You talk about your dream home, well, is is the development that you're looking at providing the lot sizes you need in actual fact to build your dream home? It mm. might be in the right location for you and your family, but the, the size of the lots might not be anything like what you actually want. Does that make yes. sense? Yeah. Yep. Um, design guidelines is a good one. So look for any, like, some estates are very um, picky about the types of housing that gets built in terms of the style of housing. Are yeah. there design guidelines in place yeah. um, over and above what you um, uh, over and above the standard planning rules? Like are there I've heard, caveats? I've heard of the ones where you have, um, you know, you can't have the same colour scheme within seven houses either side of you. Yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> I've written design guidelines for many years ago for Stockland. Yeah. Um, and the intention of, of them was to ensure for the purchaser that the houses that were being built were built to a certain standard mm. from, the Stockland, from the Stockland perspective. And, but they, saw, they soon stopped using them because, uh, well, this was anecdotal, of course. Um, yeah. Because it, the purchases were um, running a mile because yeah. of the rules that were being imposed. So design guidelines is another thing to look for. Yeah. Um, uh, caveats and easements. Yeah. Um, and we've touched on this before, access to transport, parks, yeah. education, shops, and whether or not they're designed into the estate, which they should be because of the PSPs, the precinct yes. structure plans. But... As you've pointed out, are they going to be delivered in a timely manner? Yes. Hmm. You know, it, it's 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 like any purchase. You you really you you need to understand what you're getting into, who you're getting into bed with. Yeah. And there are some developers that are better than others. Hmm. And you've got to understand that you're getting into bed with them for not necessarily. A six-month time frame. It's you know you've got a warranty for ten years, haven't you? Mm. So you're spending a lot of money. You're spending a lot of money, and but you know if if something does go wrong, you need to know that you can call them up and say, look, you need to kick your you know insurance in here because there's a roof leak or there's a my fault my my concrete's got a nice big. Split down the middle. Mm. It shouldn't happen. You know, not your tabs leaking, but <laughs> but maybe, <a> more, maybe. 
<laughs> Ideal world. Like, obviously, a lot of these estates put in the, we've talked about, you know, the bike trails, the parks, the cafes, the childcare centres, but a lot of them, it's, it's almost like what I, I call the microwave scenario. You know, you look in a kitchen and go, oh, wow, look at, you know, it's got a great dishwasher. It's got, a, you know, high-end appliances. But you completely forget about where you're going to put your microwave in a kitchen when you inspect a property. And a microwave takes a big chunk of bench mm-hmm. space if you, if you don't have a hole for it. Um, but it's things like your doctors and your hospitals and the vets. You know, these are the things that you might be using on a, a weekly basis or, a, mm-hmm. you know, and... Sometimes these estates don't have that massive, you know, Sunshine Hospital or Frankston Hospital or something close by. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, any I look, I can tell you this from family experience. Um, I had a friend who, or a family member who uh, was in Phillip Island, uh, had an accident. It was if it didn't have ambulance insurance, it was $11,500 ambulance ride from Phillip Island to Frankston Hospital. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, don't live on Phillip Island if you're sick. No, is that? Yeah. Sorry. Is that? Yeah. Is that so, so, yes, yeah. if you don't have those hospitals and doctors and, you know, large shopping malls and stuff that you can get, you know, like you Kmart's and your big W's, they're part of your big infrastructure, aren't they? They should be. Yes, they are. Your Bunnings. And, and as, as, a, as a, you know, the, most of the new housing estates only get these things once the population can support them mm. because we don't, because we live in a capitalist society. society. Yeah. And, and government, there are certain things government ensures gets developed. Yeah. In the old days, the government would build the roads and the like. Now what happens is the government says, the develop- well, would they? I, that was my understanding, you know. These days the developer builds the roads, mm. right? And even recently with a subdivision we're doing in Sunbury, mm. um, the developer is being asked without compensation because of the because of the way the precinct structure plan was written, the developer is being asked. So typically, main roads. The developer, or certainly in the precinct structure plan area, we're talking. Um, we're dealing with in in Hume. Mm. The the main roads. The developer is meant to upgrade the roads yeah. to this to the quality that, that are existing. Yeah. Right. So these are housing estates that are on the edge of existing roads. Yeah. Right, but those existing roads aren't up to the standard for the new housing estates. So what happens is the councils and the state says, "Hey, you've got to, if you don't mind, can you pay the money up front to upgrade the road, and then we'll pay you back." So is this when you're talking about like what road widening? So all of a sudden, you know, a road has now become a highway. Or, yeah, or uh, more, more like country lanes becoming a standard residential street, yeah. right? So in this case, the state, the the lo- there's no mechanism for this one particular road mm. for the developer, whilst being asked to upgrade it, 
for them to get paid back the money. Mm. This is all to do with the point that who about who pays for this yeah. stuff these days, right? So anyway, back to the question. Because of the structure of way, you know, we're in a capitalist society, certain things will be delivered by local government yeah. and the developer as a as a must do upfront. Yes. Right? basic stuff so that people can live in their houses. Mm. But then all the other stuff, like the vets, the doctors, the childcare, that that has to come later. Yeah. So And I think I think we live in a I do think we live in an era where people think it's all gonna be there magically from day one. Yeah. And it ain't it's gonna not happen. gonna happen. And is that why we might see massive blocks of land sort of on the edge of a development that may stay massive for fifteen, twenty years? Yeah, because literally, so, yeah. So they've earmarked so, it for a commercial enterprise or hospital infrastructure yeah. or whatever they have. It's just yeah. we're going to wait till the population of this housing estate reaches that twenty twenty five thousand 25,000 people before we think about it. Yeah, and, and, and it goes even, it's sort of, I'll say, use the word worse. It's like... Armstrong Creek in Geelong, which I've had some professional involvement with many years ago, you know, that that precinct structure plan identifies massive areas. Because the bigger the 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 precinct structure plan area or the development area, the more stuff you need to put into it, like employment, for Mm. example. Okay, so activity centres aren't the only only employment generator. So in Armstrong Creek, you've got whole industrial estates that are meant to be Develop that provide the jobs for the people yeah. living in the area, right? And the, and the, the the theory goes that if you provide the places for the jobs to go, like where the big sheds and warehousing goes, mm. then when the people move in, they've got somewhere to to work, yeah. right? But the local and state governments aren't spending the money put in the infrastructure to to connect the big industrial estates to anything. Yeah. And so you've got land that in theory should be developed for industry but won't be because the state and local government saying to the developer, you're the one that has to connect connect the big trunk infrastructure. Yeah. Um, and so whilst it looks nice in a plan, it ain't going to be developed. Mm. And actual, in actual fact, the Armstrong Creek PSP is a classic example of the local government going back to review their plans because no one is willing to pay the money to see the plan become a reality. Does that make sense? So they actually revisit the strategy document because the strategy document hasn't got a mechanism for it to be fulfilled yes. economically. So... There's a really big gap between the the vision and what's actually getting put on the ground because these days the theory is the developers meant to pay for everything. Yeah, and they can't. Mm. And I guess another side note to all of this is that the government wants immigrants to come here. For them to come here, they have to buy in housing estates because that's where they've been told to buy, that's where they're going to get the best bang for their buck. 
yeah. And what happens is they buy here, but they don't live here. They may rent out their property here, but they may be just a financial strategy for those immigrants to move over here eventually. Mm -hmm. And therefore some housing estates may not have population. They may be vacant homes. Yeah, I don't know about that. You don't know about I, that? I honestly, I honestly yeah. don't know about yeah. that. Yeah. Have, have a good I, talk I, with our I, friend I David, David Tong. Are you and... telling me? All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> are you telling me that's happening? Uh, uh, possibly, yeah. And therefore, yeah, okay. if it's happening, then... Well, then, then you're not going to get your shops and services. Yeah, right. so that's another question you should ask your developer. How many people from overseas are buying in this area? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Depends, well, you know, it depends on why you're buying it, right? Yeah. You might not be buying it to live in either. Yeah, you might be buying it. To... AKA, AKA our friend David. Yes. So you're opening up a can of worms. Oh, I am. I am very much so. Mm. <laughs> Talk to your local government strategic planner. Yeah. Maybe, I'm just thinking about this, you might want to talk to your local government engineering department. Yeah. And just go and talk to all the different developers. Yeah. At the end of the day, they want to sell you something. So they'll tell you what you they'll tell you what you want to that hear. You've got to be cautious. They'll tell you what you they think you want to hear. Yeah. But you know, you, you just keep you just keep asking, you know, when they tell you something, you go, Really? Really? Well, you know, you could say that, you know, <laughs> David one said, you know, the the shopping centre will be here by the end of next year and David Two said the shopping centre uh, hasn't even been proposed yet. <laughs> mm. So, well, have you got that that piece of land? So, this is this is being a good question. So, because on in the precinct structure plan says land identified for activity centres. Yes. So you could literally go to the developer and say, "Has has a um, charter hall or a." Uh, Charles, the one who developed shopping centres, yeah. uh, 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 Stockland, whoever developed shopping centres, yeah. have they? Has anyone like that bought this land yet? Okay, right, yeah. because again, they're the ones that develop the thing. Mm. It's not the so uh, uh, a um, uh, so when I worked on this project with Tassio Cocos from Woodsum in Western Australia, where we did the the very we we helped. Don't want to take all the credit. We we definitely helped with the strategic planning for this massive growth area. Yeah. It wasn't Woodson, sorry, it wasn't Eglinton Estates, which was the develop the overall developer that developed the shopping centres. Yeah. They then sold that land to the shopping centre developers. So you do, you know, a really good question would be, has a shopping centre developer actually bought the land or have you J are you JVing with them to develop a shopping centre on this land? Yeah. Because they might not even they might have not have even started the planning application process for that. Yeah. So this is the other thing to remember, right? So the the precinct structure plan will only show a blob of colour where something's meant to go. Yes. Right? But then that thing has to actually be designed. Yeah. There might be some design guidelines for it, but a, a, a real proper shopping centre developer has to come along and design a shopping centre, put it in for a planning approval, 
get it approved, then get the building approvals. So, so if that person yeah. or company isn't the, part of the mix yet, that shopping centre is a long way away. Yeah, and wouldn't that shopping centre approval probably include like have they spoken to Coles or Woolies or? Or, yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. and it's like, what does Coles want for this shop? What does Woolly, you know, what does Aldi, you know, like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's not just, um, you know, do they want to be near a reject shop or a, you know, what type of shop? Well, they might, they, they might have a, they might have an idea of the mix of things. Yeah. Things there and the, the, the range of services. Yeah. Will there be so Australian the, Post? Yeah. Will there be a yeah, or, or a bank exactly. or a, no? There's no mm. banks anymore. You can't win these things, can you? We're we're, we're becoming a very oh, no. I'm online. I'm very optimistic about the future. Oh yes, I'm sure. <laughs> well, thanks, David, for all your help with this topic and how to find the best place to uh, get your house and land package. Now, if our listeners want to get in contact with you for their planning needs, how can they get in contact with you? Give me a call, 0438. No, just give me a call. Send out positive vibes. Um, The number is 0438459559. That's 0438 459 555. Beautiful. Or, Thank um, you. David, email address is David K at, and I'll always regret doing this, David K at smartplanninganddesign.com. No AU. Okay. It's a very so long, stupid, look. long thing. Yeah. Smartplanninganddesign.com. David K at smartplanninganddesign.com. Just imagine if you had David Klimberg at Smart. I know. <laughs> it is what it is. Look, I have the same thing with real copyright. <laughs> thank you All, so much for your time. Thank you. And it's always a pleasure having you on. Um, next week we have Miriam Sandcooler from Property Mavens talking to us about fake buyers advocates. Apparently it's becoming a widespread phenomenon and we need to protect ourselves from those trying to make a quick buck. So if you want to know more, download next week's episode and have a listen. Real Estate Right is brought to you by Real Copyright, one of Melbourne's leading real estate copywriting services. This podcast is produced and written by me, Sue Langada, with the help of our social media expert, Jade Bomanis. We would like to thank Podbean for distributing this podcast, Zoom for the recording, Premium Beat for our theme music, and Francis Morello for our introduction. We would love for you to rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or on our website, realestateright.com.au. Thank you for listening to Real Estate Right. It's where buyers, sellers, renters, and investors get their real estate right. <laughs>